Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the Bat Around. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you in our listening and viewing audience. So this is the bat around for Saturday, the 25th of January. We are eight days away from Super Bowl 54, a match that will see the Kansas City Chiefs. They would they would be winning their first. They've never won a Super Bowl. You uh, know they have yeah, one. They won. They beat the Vikings in 50 years. Th- three, four, or four, four. And then after that Super Bowl, that's when the leagues merged. That's right. H- Hank Stram was the coach of the Kansas yep. City Chiefs. Matriculate the ball down the field, boys. That's right, and they did it. And uh, so the Chiefs have not won a Super Bowl since 1970, by right. my count. Okay, right. that's that was the 69. That's 50 years ago. 69 seasons, 70 Super Bowl, 50 right. years ago. Wow, wow. What were you doing 50 years ago? I was in the, let's see, 50 years ago, I was in uh, elementary school. Okay, good. Yeah. So was, so was, no, I was, uh, 50 years ago, so I was 18, I was in college already. Okay. Boy, look how far I've come. Uh, we are here to talk baseball for the next two hours. Stan the Fan and Craig Heist, Paul Valley is running the show. Wave to everybody, Paul. He's the handsome one of the bunch. Um... We've got a good, seriously, we always put that uh, bonds us as a great group of guest contributors. Today, we really have an interesting show. Mickey Cucciella, Blast MC, host of the games at CQ Arena, and the Blast play a rare back to back at home. Tonight, they play the San Diego Soccers at 6.05, and tomorrow, they will play the Harrisburg Heat at CQ. We'll talk to Mickey Cucciella for a couple minutes. Uh, Mark Mussina joins us at 10.20 to talk about what it is that he does with his time now, that he doesn't have to follow his brother's pitching pursuits and the efforts to get him into the Hall of Fame. Well, if he was like me, he was watching on Masson last night in game number four of the 1977, uh, I'm sorry, 97. 97. uh, ALDS against right. the Seattle Mariners. When that was the first round. First round when right. Moose was uh, sticking it to Randy Johnson twice in that series. <laughs> that was that was good. I like that. And I you know that, that that series really, and I think I mentioned this to you on the phone. That was a series where Davey Johnson really outmanaged Lou Pinella. Yeah. You know by switching the lineup around. Uh, Al- Robbie Alomar was hurt. Uh, couldn't hit from the right side. Romero couldn't hit Johnson. No, he was like end. one for twenty-one coming into that series right. against him, uh, and and you had uh, Jerome Walton playing I first hadn't base. Even remembered him on the team, and yeah. and Jeff Rebelay hits the two-run homer in the first inning off Johnson to get mm. it. This is incredible Beautiful stuff. Beautiful, Beautiful stuff. stuff. All right, ten forty-five. We'll talk to the Washington Post, very fine sports writer Barry Sverluga. Uh, we'll talk to him most particularly about some of the things he wrote after the World Series. It was known 
the the Nats knew about the Astros cheating yeah. Yeah. Uh, at home, and they were prepared for it, and henceforth went four and zero versus the Astros in Minute Maid Park. They were prepared for some sign stealing. Yeah, they were, and uh, also need to talk to him about uh, the Nats getting Ryan Zimmerman signed, sealed, and delivered for uh, 2020 on a one-year deal worth $2 million. Could be up to $5 million with incentives. And uh, they signed an ex-Oriole uh, this past week in Wellington Castillo for some catching depth. depth right. uh, and that's a minor league deal, so that's certainly – and, you know, he's coming off a couple of shaky – Years with the White Sox, which included a suspension. So, uh, so the Nats, they signed Zimmerman. They waited just long enough to make me look like an idiot last night because I was on Masson's uh, show last night, mm-hmm. uh, the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report, and we talked to Dave Johnson and I. And uh, to me, this thing lasted so long that there was some doubt to me that they were getting it done but why did it take this long to get it done? I don't think, I mean... Because yeah. the money was really insignificant. I, I just think that everything together with putting the roster together and uh, I think Ryan was is, uh, getting that done was on the back burner. Yeah. Because well, everybody knew it was going to get... Up, but why, yeah. why would it be if it was such an insignificant amount of money? Why did you... Well, I, I don't see why you need to get it done... Until you see where all your ducks are in the row there. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I can't think of – seriously, I can't think of anything that they would – should have should have or wouldn't have done with, with if they had announced that like December 1st. Like, hey, we got Ryan Zimmer in the back. Yeah. Do you think that would have kept them from re-signing Howie Kendrick? Uh, it's possible. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think so. And I don't think it would have taken them – out of the Eric Thames yeah. battle. No, and I, but I just think it was one of those things okay. where it was a foregone conclusion and it okay. didn't really make much difference when it got done. All right. Well, anyway, we'll talk to Barry Sferluga about that. Everybody in Washington, that town. And I think the baseball world in general feels that that's right, that uh, well, Ryan Zimmerman uh, will finish his career out in the Nationals. Well, and what I'm surprised about is it's only a one-year deal as opposed to a two-year deal. I think we both thought it could be like a two-year, nine or ten million yeah. dollar deal. This yeah. is like a one-year, two, two million. million with a chance to make another million. No, another, it. it could be a five million dollar total with incentives. And okay, everything. so yeah. if he has a big season, mm-hmm. okay, and uh, is healthy. And yeah. there's no reason if he's not healthy that this couldn't play out. That uh, he gets he, another year. He he gets another year. Absolutely. All right. Eleven oh five. We're going to be joined by the longtime skipper of the Bowie Bay Sox. But last year he coached uh, managed at AAA. That's Gary Kendall. He's going to join us. A lot of players to talk to him about that he has managed up the uh, ladder. Uh, people like um, Chance Cisco, DJ Stewart, uh, Austin Hayes. Ryan Mountcastle now he's managed for a couple of years in a row. Uh, so we'll talk Yuzniel Diaz. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll talk to Gary Kendall. A lot to talk to him about. Bill Latson will join us at eleven thirty. But we've got a lot to do on today's show. Yeah, we'll a lot, a lot to, to talk it. to Bill about too because he was at the, uh, the uh, Rojas, uh, Rojas press conference. Press conference yep. Right, and uh, so he was. Uh, Checking out to see what the new skipper of the Mets sounded all sounded like and what he was all about, and uh, I'm not saying that I'm shocked they that went that way it did. Uh, but I just thought once they once they blew it with the Beltron situation. Right. Let's be blunt, they did blow it. I mean, yeah. they they should have known. 
that the, the status of that investigation a little bit. But anyway, I thought they'd go back to one of the 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 uh, first of all, wasn't Eduardo Perez the backup? The back, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean he was the guy that finished second, right? And they never even went back to discuss the no, job. No, no, and they, he was you know the ESPN commentator. He right. was uh, going to be the one. To, I thought was going to get the job That's what originally. All right. Joining us now is a longtime morning uh, DJ in these parts, or morning talk guy, Mickey Cucciello. He's now with the Baltimore Blast. He emcees the games, hosts the games. And, uh, Mickey, thank you. You're on with Stan the Fan and Craig Heist. How are you, sir? Good morning, gentlemen. I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing, doing great. Well, obviously, gentlemen, he's got us all wrong to begin with right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Anyway. Hey, Mickey, I, I made it out Monday for the first half of the game against Sonora. Uh, yeah. That was an unusual one on a Martin Luther King to play an afternoon game. Fairly well attended there. Uh, and yeah. The blast, and the Blast won a, an important game for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of our two uh, two Mexican teams in the league. And uh, yeah, it, it really was. And the, the team we played against in the championship in seventeen eighteen season, and I got to tell you, it was a it was a great experience having the Mexican national anthem played before the game. Kids were really into it, and yeah, it was a great game. Great, we got a chance to see some uh, new players, some returning players. It was great. Tell us about a couple of the new players that the Blast have added to 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 sprinkle some maybe new energy in there. Well, I'll tell you about two. I, I think Victor France. Yeah. Uh, is a, is a young guy from uh, Brazil who is just fantastic. Um, we were really excited to have him. He's uh, he's young. He's very very skillful. Um, when the Florida team fell apart, he was available, and we were able to get him. And it was uh, it was really great for us. We were really excited. Um, and he wears we number f- he wears number fifteen on his jersey. If you go out there tonight for the game, yeah, yeah, um, and really excited. And then having Lucas Roque back was, I think, a, a great uh, uh, addition back to the team. Okay, now the the the, the little uh, the most important thing about Monday's game and the two games tonight is. You know, we here in Baltimore may feel that the blast is sort of like a an entitlement to be in the playoffs and ultimately play for a championship. The league's different this year. The balance of power a lot more different uh, than it's been in the past, and there are some teams that have played better than the blast. So the victory against Sonora and this rare back-to-back home series tonight and tomorrow, uh, playing San Diego tonight at 6.05 and Harrisburg tomorrow – these are very important games. Absolutely, and and I think that we're the I, to me knowing the game. I think our soccer is getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, and talking to Coach uh, Danny Kelly, that's been his thing all year that the soccer just hasn't been good. But it really, to me, looks like we're improving. I think the team is gelling. I think the uh, the pace of play is picking up. And I think we're in a good position this weekend. I mean, two tough games that can go either way, but I think I, I'm really confident they're going to go our way. And if they do, uh, I think the playoff picture looks great. 
Uh, tonight's game, as I mentioned, against San Diego is at 6.05. Do you have the start time for tomorrow's game against Harrisburg? Is it I uh, Don't in front of me, Stan. I believe it's 3.05. I could be wrong, All but right. I believe it's 3.05. We'll double-check that before you get off the air uh, with us. Uh, San Diego this season, not playing great soccer, but they are not – actually, they are playing great soccer. They're behind yeah. Monterey is 13-1 and one out west – San Diego nine and one, so this is going to be a tough ball game tonight at six oh five. Oh, no question about it, and it's probably the oldest rivalry in indoor soccer. I mean, they were two powerhouse teams uh, for a long time, and uh, you know, older Blast fans like myself uh, can remember as a kid that when San Diego came to town, they were unbelievable, um, and they just had some of the best players in the league back then. And this game, I'm excited for this game. We haven't seen San Diego in a long time uh, in Baltimore, and this is going to be this is going to be spectacular. Uh, and again, that game starts at 6:05. Is that the 6:05? Is that pretty regularly when they start the Saturday games, Mickey? Yes, yes. Mickey, right. what what's the attendance been like uh, so far? Uh, so you know, I'll tell you, uh, we have a, a meeting. Uh, every Tuesday uh, with Mr. Ed Hale. And, you know, he's been very, very positive. I mean, I think the attendance has been something. The Monday game, uh, which was originally scheduled for Sunday, and back in, uh, I guess, late November, early December, we decided to move the game. Because, because of the, it looked pos- like the, Ravens because of the possibility be- of a conflict with Ravens football, yeah. Yeah, and you don't want to do anything in town when that's happening, yeah. <laughs> especially had it been the AFC Championship. So... Uh, we moved the game, and we did. I mean, the the numbers were spectacular for a Monday at two o'clock on Martin Luther King Day. It was. Uh, it's it's been it's been great this year. All right. By the way, that game tomorrow is listed in the on the schedule online as five o five. Five o five. I'm sorry. There 605 we go. Six o five tonight. Five o five tomorrow. Uh, is tonight going to be close to a sellout, Mick? It, it should be, yeah. I mean, it's it, it looks spectacular. All right, uh, Harrisburg just up the road. They're playing pretty well right now. Got a chance to be a real big rivalry match tomorrow. And again, like I said earlier about both of these games tonight and tomorrow, it gives the it gives the home team, the Baltimore Blast, a chance to get on a little bit of a roll right now. Absolutely, and I, you know, you you have. Uh, you have uh, Kevin and Pat Healy up there, um, you know, who were longtime. I mean, Kevin Healy sure. ran the blast for twenty some years, yep. um, and now he's up there, and and, and they they took their brand to play up there, and it's 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 starting to really work for them. And yeah, I believe I believe you're right, Stan. I think this is going to turn out to be a a big rivalry match eventually, um, and 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 I'm looking forward to it. All right. Uh, your uh, podcast, the unofficial Baltimore Blast podcast. When can people find that? And you co-host that with Gianni, right? Correct, Gianni Tuminella, who uh, is now the general manager of the Blast. Uh, he's welcome, by the way, Stan. I got him that job. Uh, <laughs> he he uh, he and I do that show. He um he he's the most. If if there's ever a rain man of indoor soccer, he is it. You, I, I literally gave him a quiz, um, and 
of every city that's ever had a team, and he remembered the name of the team. Wow, he remembered. It was Tacoma. over 60 cities, and he knew every single one. Wow, Unbelievable. What, was so Tacoma, do, what was Tacoma's name? Uh, the, the Tacoma Stars, yeah, I believe. Yeah, I, I think you're right. All right. Yeah, uh, I'm nowhere near him. Uh, he he says it like he's like it's just on the front of his brain. It's unbelievable. Um, yeah, we do that. You can find that at any time on YouTube. Uh, just go to uh, unofficial blast webcast, and then we've we've really been doing a lot of Facebook live stuff. So just I encourage everyone to follow the Baltimore Blast on Facebook. All right, one last question now. Uh, sure. Scott Wyckoff did it on Monday. Any can you are you allowed to to tease us with who's going to bang the drum at the beginning of the game? You know, Stan, you put me on the spot here, and I'm embarrassed to say I can. Uh, I believe it's Ann Kramer. Wow. Okay. That sounds yeah. good. All right. Uh, and Scott, Scott's been our drummer of the year so far. He, he was incredible. He really got into it and loved it. He was really did a great job on that, and that's a really cool little thing you do before the game. Mickey, yeah, I think it, it's been fun. We appreciate your coming on again, again tonight. Baltimore Blast, CQ Arena, limited tickets available, 6.05. But if you can't get there tonight or you hear it's sold out tonight, tomorrow, 5.05 is game time. No NFL game tomorrow, so to speak, because the uh, Pro Pro Bowl uh, is not worth watching. Um, Agreed. Mickey, I'll talk to you soon. I'll be out there tonight. I'll talk to you. I look forward to seeing you, Stan. Thanks, guys. All right. There he is, Mickey Cucciella. There you go. And uh, Mickey doing a great job out there creating some energy with the fans and all that. Um, Time to tell you that the bat around is presented by Mobile One. Mobile One full synthetic motor oil helps extend engine life. Visit your local Jiffy Lube service center and ask for Mobile One. Um, the latest edition of PressBox is available now, and it is our very special PressBox Best of 2019 issue presented by Maryland Sports Commission. On the cover, we recognize Lamar Jackson as our Athlete of the Year, and Bill Ardine honors the inspirational Mo Gabba as our Sports Person of the Year. Inside the issue, we celebrate the top people, performances, and moments of the year. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. And let me get uh, our first live casino mention out of the way that we are broadcasting from the live casino hotel studios and live casino hotels, brand new venue. The Hall at Live is open and will host lots of world-class entertainment in 2020. On Sunday, February 2nd, Live Casino Hotel hosts a big game, 54 viewing party for $29.99. Watch the title game with all your all you can eat, stadium bites, pita chips, and hummus, veggies, build your own nachos, Italian sub sandwiches, steamed hot dogs, and grilled brats for just $59.99. Enjoy the game, the all you can eat, stadium bites, and an open bar. Get your tickets now at livecasinohotel.com. Other great events coming to the Hall at Live this year include Fight Night, February 28th, Squeeze, February 29th, OAR, March 14th, Adam Sandler, March 19th, Air Supply, April 3rd, Josh Groban, April 16th, Patti LaBelle, May 2nd, and Gabriel Iglesias, August 22nd. Get your tickets now by going to livecasinohotel.com. 
Do we have uh, Mark is on the phone with us? All right. Why don't you introduce your good friend? He's a friend of mine, too, but I'll let you do that. All right. Well, he is Mark Messina, the brother of uh, Hall of Fame pitcher Mike Messina. And uh, Mark... So what you're saying is he's the important Messina. Exactly. In the family. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Because, uh, well, actually, this guy, this guy really, you know, he's written a couple of pieces in the last uh, year which uh, just described what he went through himself just by watching Mike pitch throughout his career yep. and the things he logged and, and, and all of those things. And, and it must have been very interesting because, you know, Stan, I was always a big Mike Messina fan. and uh, in The fa- biggest. In, in the fact, biggest. I always tease people that for as much as I hate the Yankees, the only time I ever root for them, rooted for them Mike was once every fifth day. <laughs> Mark Messina joins us on the phone. Mark, good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? What's going on, man? Uh, you know, just living the dream every day, buddy. There you yeah. go. Well, that's why you, I you wonder. Say like, you say what I went through. Like, it was, uh, well, but, you know, like it was traumatic. Well, I mean, you it wasn't traumatic. It was agonizing. You I agonized. Come on now. I think it we all did. You loved it, though. You loved it, too. I know that. It, it, yeah, it, I mean, it was stressful. We'll say that. And, I, yeah. you know, you lose sleep when it's, it's, it's amazing how, um, how simple it is and how easy it is to turn the page when you win. And, you know, if things would go well, you know, there was not, it was kind of like, oh, there's the game, there, it won again, and now, like, what else do I do? It was the losses that were, that kept you up at night, and then you, you know, you wondered if he was ever going to win again, you wondered if he was really feeling okay, you wondered, you know. And so, so, yeah, there was, uh, yeah, it wasn't, when you say going through, I don't know, but it was, it was stressful. I'll, I'll give you that. It took years off my life. Is there any truth <laughs> to the rumor that after winning 20 games, that really it was you that wanted Mike to, to retire just so you wouldn't have the stress of watching him pitch anymore? No, actually, I was about – there were two people, and now I don't even remember who the other one was. Everyone else wanted him to retire. Right. Except me. Right. Because um, I actually sat down with him after it was over. Because um, the way it went on was like during the whole season, it was the last year of his contract. He's 39 years old, and he was just coming off the worst year of his career. And he was just telling people around, you know, people in the Little League board and, and friends around town, and, you know, my mom. And he kept telling people, this is going to be it. And, you know, I'm going to pitch out this year, and then this is going to be it, no matter what happens. And, uh, and then he started doing well. And. But he, he never changed his tune, and I kept thinking, like, well, he's just saying that because it's working and he doesn't want to rock the boat, and mentally it'll be better if he just keeps. But when the season's over, if he, if, if he continues on this really good year, there's no way he's going to quit. And then he ended up winning 20 games, and then he came home, and he's like, yeah, that's it. I'm done. Well, so I, uh, I, I made up, like, a fake business meeting with him. And uh, we sat down and talked for about five minutes about business stuff. And then I, I was like, are you, are you sure you know what you're doing? And then we spent like the next 45 minutes talking about why he should. I kept telling him why he should keep playing, why he's going to regret it, why he's not a rock band and he can't, you know, have a comeback tour five years from now. And, and actually, while we were talking, Brian Cashman called him. And um, he just said, he answered the phone. He said, hey, I'm talking to my brother. Let me call you back. And uh, he hung up, and I said, who was that? He said it was Cashman. I said, you call him now. I'll wait. <laughs> but, um, but no, it turned out he just, he kinda, he just said, I'm done. I, you know, I, I've, I've done it. I've, um, I, I'm, and, I, I, you know, I think he knew, uh, 
you know, to go back to the ancient history that, you know, he had a bad, he had a really bad year at 38. He had a really good year at 39. But if he continued on, you know, there were going to be lots more bad years and it was just going to, it was 39 was kind of a, uh, you know, here's, this is your last hurrah, and if you're, if you're humble enough to go out with this, you can go out on top. And if you keep coming around, injuries are going to start to pile up because, uh, you know, that's just how it goes. So, well, let me, um, let me ask you this. In that final year, when did you know? When did you find out that it was over? I, didn't, I, I mean, I'd heard it all year. But coming off the year before, you know, he'd been banished to the bullpen for, for the first time for, you know, for a couple weeks. And um, then the Yankees got to the playoffs, and he was the fourth starter. But when they got down 2-1, to one, um, the Yankees, the Steinbrenners decided to skip him and go to a three-man rotation and bring back Ming Wong. So he pitched out of the pen then, and they lost. And so after seeing how frustrating the year was for him and how much he struggled, it was it made sense for him to say that, you know, this is the last year of my contract. I'll be 39 years old, and it's been a good run, and I'm going to walk away. But I kept thinking about, like, he entered that year with 250 wins. Right. And I was like, if you go out and win 15 games and have a solid year, that's 265. And then at 40, if you come back and win 15 more, now you're at 280. And, you know, 300 is, it's not, I mean, the odds are against you, but it's possible. If you can put together three healthy seasons, then you might limp through a season or two, but you could get there. And uh, he was like, no. And, but I just, as it, if he'd have struggled all year, I would have believed it the whole time. Once he started winning, I thought he's got to change his mind. Right. And Well, you know how I knew or when I find, found out about it or had sure. a really good idea? They're in town to take on the Orioles. It's probably late in May. And I walked up. Really, uh, that early? Yeah, I walked up into the into the skybox to see Jane and the kids. And <laughs> I said, "How you doing?" She says, "Great. I'm going to get my husband back after this year." <laughs> well, see, in May, I think he believed it, and that's what. But then he got <laughs> right. hot, and then that's what I didn't believe it anymore. So, and, you know. So that's my question, Mark, with him, and it's it's how much of that conversation when you sat there. I can see why when you put the 300 in front of them, that looked like three more, potentially three more seasons, right? Or two, at least well, two Well, yeah, more. it was a 270, so it was, yeah, right. it's probably three. Three. It was the so, weird part of, oh, go ahead. No, so my questions. question was, forget 300 for a second, because I think if it was 291, he still gets in. As it turned out, he got in at 270. But how much of that discussion with him when Cashman called in the middle there was about, from your perspective, how he needed to do a little bit more to, to, to really ice the fact that he was going to be a Hall of Famer. Well, and that, that is part of the funniness, because he was like, listen, um, at the time he was 271-43. He goes, so say I hang on for, for three more years, and say I limp through the next three years and go 30 and 40 right. over the next three years. I'll have 300 wins. I'll still be 107 games over 500, but if if I'm not a Hall of Famer now, right? Does 30 and 40 make me a Hall of Famer? Right, right. exactly. And you know what? We always talk about 300, or we always used to talk about 300 being the number. But I, I think, I, I and think you, that's you, changing. you, 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 and I have discussed this before 
and and I just think with the saber matrix and everything that, that that's taken place over, especially the last decade. I think a lot of voters looked at the overall body of work and said, hey, wait a minute, we need to really look at this. And then, you know, once the, the last three years, the jump in percentage of votes to get to the Hall of Fame really took off. Yeah, it, well, and they changed the voters. They got rid of some guys that, you know, some old-time guys. But, um, but yeah, like he won 270. He got his 270th win in, in 08, and nobody's got to 270 since. Right. Uh, Moyer got to 269. Uh, Pettit got to two fifty something. I was saying two fifty two. I think, and yeah. Sabathia got to two fifty something. Yeah, um, but that's it. And and when you look at Verlander's next, I think Verlander's in the two twenties, maybe two thirty. Right. Um, and right now he looks he looks great. Uh, just but he's thirty six ish. I think. Right. So you know it just depends if he how how his body holds together and. Um, and the stupid and how much is, and how much his team continues to cheat. Well, that, <laughs> that's true. Uh, well, you know, yeah. I told everybody. I told everybody when Mike walked off the field at Fenway uh, uh, with Molina, and 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 I said right then, I said, "Look, he's a Hall of Famer," and I got a lot of pushback on it. And I continued throughout the first three or four years to get pushback on it. And then once it happened. People started saying to me, well, you know, the Hall of Very Good, that kind of thing, and, you know, which I just discounted. But I thought to myself, as soon as I heard Jeff Heidelson, you know, uh, and I was in the Wizards, I was in the, in, the, in the Capitals, I was coming to Capitals game, I was watching the show down in the media room, Mark, and then he said, uh, right, right away he said, this man's knuckle curve, and I went, yes! <laughs> because well, I then, then, then for me it was like, I don't care what anybody says anymore. It's over and done with. <laughs> well, yeah, and and I know like what he got it. I think Mike got in by eight votes, and Larry Walker just got in by six votes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Mike goes, yeah. When we were there, nobody asked you how what like how much you got in by. It was, but I think one of the things that really you know the era that he pitched in, um, and and we understood when it started out. I think he got nineteen percent on his first ballot. Um, that when you stack him up against his contemporaries and you, you're looking at Randy Johnson and Greg Maddox and, and Tom Glavin and you know, guys like that who, uh, even though a lot of his numbers are really similar to Glavin, Glavin mm-hmm. had two Cy Youngs and he had five 20-win seasons. Uh, but, so when you start saying that, well, who, if you have a vote, who are you going to vote for, Greg Maddox or Mike Messina, Pedro Martinez or Mike Messina, Randy right. Johnson, then it makes sense, and I, and I get that. And you had though there were so many slam dunks of the Ken Griffey Juniors and Frank Thomases and and all those guys through the era. But once those guys all started getting in, and then you started looking and say like, are we never going to vote for any other pitchers again? Or if we are, who's going to get in? Then that's kind of as we saw the other guys getting in. We said sooner or later he's got to rise to kind of the top of the list. Well, and because you got Jeter that just went, you got Pujols that's coming. Um, but these, the, the slam dunks, they're just, the way the game has changed, there just aren't as many right now as there were back in that era when he played. Right. You, know, you know what's fascinating? You made the, the, the argument, you, or you said what Mike's argument was, if I go 30 and 40 but get the 300. I mean, Glavin, who was a first ballot Hall of Famer, and I'm not really here to bash Glavin's um, credentials, but Glavin, his last five years when he went to the Mets, actually six seasons, 
was 63 and 60, yet he goes in on the first ballot and he never pitched in the designated hitter league. Um, I just, to me, it was overwhelming that Mike, in my opinion, was a first ballot Hall of Famer and deserved to be in before Glavin. Uh, the numbers yell at me when I look at the fact that Glavin threw, what, 700 more innings and Mike had 300 more strikeouts? Uh, when you, w- yeah, when you really delve into the numbers, Mike's numbers compare to Glavin's really well. But yeah. The problem, the surface, you know, in our, what do they say, in our 140-character society, when you give Ravens, Glavin's resume and you say he was a five-time 20-game winner, two-time Cy Young winner, and he won the World Series, then – it's hard to say, well, how do you vote for Messina over him? And I, so I, I can understand. The one that really shocked me was Smoltz. Yeah. When you look at, when you put Smoltz and Messina and Schilling's numbers all next to each other, they're really, really close. Mm-hmm. And Smoltz is the best baseball example of um, how broadcasting has really helped you get votes. I know they, a lot of people football-wise have talked about that Bill Cowher just got in the Hall of Fame because he's a broadcaster. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of other football coaches who have won one Super Bowl and have done some, you know, whatever. Yeah. But when you look at Smoltz and Schilling and Messina all next to each other, um, you know, Smoltz was not as good of a starting pitcher as people think. He's a really good closer. But he only became a closer because he got hurt and he couldn't be a starter. But when you look at his numbers, like Smoltz only won 18 games one time in his life. Smoltz never finished in the top three and earned run average. Um, he was just really, I think he's benefited by broadcasting. I think he was benefited by the fact that it was always Glavin, Maddox, and Smoltz. But when you, pull, when you pull all that away and just look at stats, his stats are, are um, I don't want to say underwhelming, because I think they're all in the Hall of Fame. I'm surprised Schilling hasn't got there yet. But, I, but I'm surprised that it was Smoltz got in right away, Mike waited six years, and Schilling may never get in. And when you look, when you put their numbers together, they're not that different. Well, I, I think I think next year would probably be the one be, for Schilling because yeah. he's he winds up with seventy percent this year. He's going. Uh, in I next think he's year. going in. Yeah, next he's going to get in. Yeah. Uh, he got two left. Was this eight for him? This yeah. was eight, eight. So he's got yeah, two, left, two left, and I think next year with next no year slam dunk like, guy coming in, I yeah. think he goes in. Um, yeah. Mike, you're. I mean, Mark. Your thoughts on this year's uh, duo that goes in uh, and the worthiness of um, Larry Walker? You know, Larry, it's, it's, he's, it's interesting, and this is what makes sports great. Uh, he was really good in Montreal. He was really good in Montreal. So was he benefited by uh, Colorado? Uh, of course he was, because kind of everybody was. But I think you look at... I think with, with all these guys, whether it's Dante Bichette or whether it's Andres Galarraga, uh, these guys that had careers other places, and you know, when you look at how much did it help them, were they only superstars when they were in Colorado? And I, I mean, I, I, think it's, I think it's good for baseball, um, and I think it's fair that Larry Walker got in yeah. because uh, – you can't if if Larry Walker doesn't get in, then you're almost saying no hitter from Colorado can get in, right? Because we just can't judge it. Uh, you know, a guy like Todd Helton now is interesting because he played his whole life in Colorado, 
And then you'd have to break down, which I've never looked at, but you have to break down its home and away splits. And were they that different? But Todd Helton had a heck of a career. And, yep. you know, you've got, um, you know, Aaron Otto now who, who is, you know, now he, he'll be different because he's known as a glove man as well. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, feeling the ground ball is feeling the ground ball no matter where you are. But if I, that's what I thought. If you're not going to put Larry Walker in, then you're just telling every player ever, if you hit in Colorado as your home field, then we just can't put you in. So how and about, I'm not sure that's good. How about that next grouping? Let, let's leave the the cheaters out of this for out of the discussion for a second. But there's another group after you get past Schilling and with no slam dunk like a Jeter or a Chipper Jones coming this year. Billy Wagner, Helton, Omar Vizquel, Gary Sheffield, and who's the, the Jeff Kent. Uh, who do you think of those guys can can make that next jump? They're all in the like thirty to forty five percent range now. Well, the the one that that has trended well is Vizquel. Yeah, and I like the fact you know as the the simple one sentence argument that I always make to people is if Ozzy Smith is in, why isn't Vizquel? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is a good argument, and I think people. There, there are so few of these that are just defensive players. And not that Vizquel, you know, Ozzie Smith stole bases, Vizquel stole bases. They weren't uh, an embarrassment offensively, but they obviously, that wasn't the strength of their game. But it's not, baseball has not overdone it. And they haven't filled, you know, like the Mark Belangers are not in just because they were great defensive players, but, you know, bad offensive players. So I think Vizquel has a real shot. How about being, Bill, How about Billy Wagner? I don't know, but the other one I was going to say is Jeff Kent. I don't. Right. I can't believe Jeff Kent's not in. Billy Wagner is someone who kind of flew under the radar, and um, we've had trouble with closers. I couldn't believe Lee Smith wasn't in right. until last year when I heard he just got in. Can, can so, I give you? Can I give you some of yeah, Wagner's numbers? Like nine hundred and two innings, nine hundred, which is probably the reason he's not in. But six hundred and some hits, and eleven ninety six strikeouts, and a WHIP that is lower by one tenth of a point than Mariana Rivera's. What? How many saves did he end up? With? He ended up with. Hold on, let me pull it up. I should have. Uh, hold on, uh, Billy Wagner. Uh, over and what four, was over four hundred. Here, here's the exact numbers. <laughs> Uh, he ended up with uh, 422 saves in 903 innings. He allowed 601 hits, 1196 strikeouts, and a WHIP of 0.998, which is lower by a tenth of a point than Mariana Rivera. It's really hard to argue against good. him being a Hall of Famer. That is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, and again, those are the things that that's a Mike stat right there. Yeah. That, on the surface, you think of the great closers, and you think, oh, Billy Wagner was good. Right. But he wasn't Trevor Hoffman. He wasn't Mariano Rivera. He was, you know, so, but when you pull those numbers apart, I mean, yeah. those, that, those hits to innings pitch were ridiculous. 903, 601 hits. That means two out of every three innings he pitched. I mean, one out of every three innings, he didn't allow a hit. He didn't allow a hit. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's, and the strikeout numbers are huge. Now, Again, yeah, for all for all closers, strikeout numbers are huge. They're not that huge. My, like that's, 
Those are ridiculous my, numbers. My editor here thinks it's the innings pitch has kept them, that he's like he's about five or six hundred innings less than Mariano. But again, he was he was incredible his last season. His earned run average was one forty three and in sixty nine innings he allowed thirty eight hits and hundred and four strikeouts at the at the age of thirty eight. There's nothing that couldn't couldn't have kept him from coming back one or two more years, you know. Yeah, I'll tell you another one. I'll give you this while we're talking old baseball. And, yeah. um, when you look at Halliday's numbers, yeah, and for for ten seasons, when you break, there was one decade where he was, you know, maybe the baddest pitcher on the planet. Yeah. Before that, he wasn't very good, and after that, he wasn't very good. But ten for one solid decade, he was awesome. Yeah. So when you look at a couple guys from back in the 90s, uh, Albert Bell and Juan Gonzalez, they had a decade. I think Gonzalez was actually 11 years where they might have been, you know, the baddest hitter on the planet. Right. And they never got a sniff. Yep. So the question that I'm asking is if, if, a, decade, if a decade of dominance gets you in, then look at – Albert Bell and look at Juan Gonzalez and tell me that they didn't dominate for a decade. Yeah, I, I can't say it with Bell the cheating, but I think there's no question Gonzalez was a uh, a steroid user. Well, it seems like everyone in the locker room yeah. was yeah sharing the same stuff. Hey, but hey, Mark, we really appreciate your coming on. We got uh, so we got so deep into this. It's great talking to you again. Can we reach out to you again this summer? Well, I'm always around. All right. It's great to talk to you. And again, congratulations to the Mucina family from last year. Um, great article, though, in the uh, Williamsport Sun Gazette a year ago. But you can still find it, as Craig Heist did, online. Thanks, Mark. Hey, no problem, man. All I'll right. see you. Craig Heist, uh, one thing, right from Mike Mucina to the costume. To Pete Triantopoulos yeah, and Nick Triantopoulos. Hall of Famers Hall of Famers in their own right. That's right. <laughs> and uh, you won't find a better place if you're looking for good family night out for great food and especially if you're uh, into watching uh, sports of any kind. You got all the plasma TVs on the walls, and uh, but uh, certainly the food is the one reason why you'd like to go to the Costa Sin. 4100 North Point Boulevard in Dundalk, and uh, they've got great specials on the menu throughout the week. Crab cake night on Monday, rib night on Tuesday, lobster night uh, is Thursday, and before you get to Thursday, you're going to have steak night on Wednesday with half-price bottles of wine. And uh, just great, great specials on the menu throughout the week. And uh, don't forget the world-famous crabs and crab cakes, which you can get shipped anywhere in the country. Uh, great place to watch the Super Bowl. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sure this year they'll do what they've done in the past, which is have an all-you-can-eat buffet for a certain price. And uh, I haven't found out what that is yet. But we'll have it next week. We'll have we'll it next week. We'll let people know on Saturday. But plan that now. And if you want crabs... For Super Bowl Sunday, you ought to call even as early as now. Yeah. Uh, well, don't call now. You might wake Nick up in the back. Yeah. Uh, 410-477-1975. The Costas Inn, one of the great places in the universe. want to talk to you about an old friend of mine from out in the heart of Glen Burnie, and their nickname is GBT. 
but that's Glen Burnie Transmissions. The late Marvin Kaiser started that business some 60 years ago. Same location. And if you suspect you're having a transmission problem, GBT can save you hundreds of dollars over taking it to the car dealers for repair. Make an appointment, and they offer free estimates, free diagnostic, called GBT toll-free at 855-728-1841. That's 855-728-1841. Their mission at GBT is simple, to provide excellent service at a reasonable price. If you have any questions about the level of service, go to their website at gbt-online.com to check out the number of five-star reviews. And tell them Stan the Fan sent you. That's right. And let my friend Mark Schwartzman and his GBT team take the troubles out of transmission troubles. Call them today. 855-728-1841 and as Craig said tell them Stan the fan sent you <laughs> gotta also tell you real quick before we get Barry's for Lugo online and play a couple commercials Real Barbecue and an amazing selection of whiskeys and microbrews when you come to Blue Pit Barbecue in Hamden you get the cool atmosphere and the best barbecue in the area all made fresh and smoked every day open for lunch and open late Blue Pit is also great for parties and events go to Blue Pit bbq.com for menus and directions. Baltimore's favorite bar is just 771 feet from home plate. Sliders Bar and Grill, just steps from Camden Yards, is the perfect sports bar for Terps and Caps season with all the games on dozens of TVs. Sliders daily specials include Mexican Monday, Wing Ding Wednesday, Bloody Brunch Sunday, and more with different drink specials every day of the week, including Fancy Clancy Pilsner. Find out about all of the parties and get info on having your own party or company event at slidersbaltimore.com. Sliders, one of Baltimore's original continuously operating bars. Royal Farms is known for being real fresh and real fast, but we're also real Baltimore. That's because Baltimore is our home base and our home. Like purple and black, flamingos and sunglasses, or crabs and Old Bay, our subs are real Baltimore, right down to the name. We make them fresh, delicious, and to your order, all day, every day, at a price that's easy to swallow. Royal Farms subs are another reason why Royal Farms is real fresh, real fast, real Baltimore. Celebrate Baltimore's dominant offensive line with the brand new Most Valuable Protectors t-shirts, which recognize how the incredible O-line has helped pave the way for an MVP quarterback. When you buy the MVP shirt, not only will you be supporting the team, you'll also be donating to the Bradley and Nikki Bozeman Foundation and their efforts to eliminate bullying in schools. Available in white and gray for just $25, the long sleeve version just $29.99. Go now to bozemanshirt.com. That's bozemanshirt.com. Buy a shirt, support your team, and help stop bullying. Check out Costa's Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. They're known far and wide for their great steamed crabs and crab cakes, and their nightly specials also include crab cake night on Monday, rib night on Tuesday, steak night on Wednesdays with a half-priced bottle of wine, and lobster night on Thursdays. Check out CostaZen.com to find out more. And the delicious crab cakes are shipped anywhere. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square now offers their piping hot chicken noodle and chicken 
chicken tortilla soup. Shredded chicken breast with navy and black beans in a white creamy soup base with a perfect blend of vegetables and spicy heat. Topped off with seasoned corn tortilla strips, obviously perfect for cold weather. Plus, it's a great compliment to the best chicken sandwich on the planet. And if you're hosting or headed to a party, pre-order from Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square Catering for not only is it delicious and a fan favorite, but it smells amazing and it'll be ready when you are. Download the Chick-fil-A app, place your order, and pile up Chick-fil-A bonus points good for free food. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. Call Steve if you'd like your party catered by Chick-fil-A, 410-931-0031. If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen, and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world, and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Our children's future starts at a very young age, and Catholic schools prepare them for that future. Academic excellence with the belief that all students will succeed. A balanced curriculum integrating music and arts, foreign language and Catholic faith, while challenging students in the areas of science, math, and technology. Discover the Catholic school's difference. Enroll today. Visit archbalt.org schools for more information or to find a school near you. And we are back on the bat around on this Saturday morning, and uh, we're very happy to have with us uh, Barry Sferluga of the Washington Post, very fine sports writer. And Barry, thank you for your time this morning. Appreciate you having me, guys. Hey, um, I happen to, I don't get to read the Post all the time because I, if I, we got a bad something, some bad sound. There we go. Now we're better. You still there, Barry? I am. I apologize about that. Our phone wasn't down. Um, I don't get to read the post all the time, but I did hear you on uh, XM Radio about 10 days ago, two weeks ago, talking about just how much the Washington Nationals knew about the cheating that the Astros were purported to have done well before the Athletic first wrote about it, and they were prepared for it in the World Series. Yeah, they had... um... I think the Astros, not the specifics of their system, but their reputation for trying to steal signs um, was kind of an open secret in baseball long before the Athletics' original report. Um, and if you remember the logistics of the Nationals' postseason, they swept the Cardinals in the NLCS. So they had some time uh, after winning on a Wednesday in D.C., um, the World Series didn't start until the following Tuesday. Um, they had some time off uh, where they were going to come in and work out that Friday. The ALCS was still going on. There was definitely the possibility that um, they would be playing Houston. And they came up with this system. Uh, they got some advice from outside folks who had, had been up against the Astros before and said, you'd at least, uh, whatever they're doing, you've got to clear your pitchers' heads that um, make sure they don't think that uh, the Astros are, are able to get their signs. So between the video people, Paul Menhart, the pitching coach, Mike Rizzo in the front office, and Davey Martinez uh, and the catchers, they came up with 
um, a system where each Nationals pitcher had five different sets of signs. Um, Kurt Suzuki and Jan Gomes, the two catchers, had um, almost like NFL quarterbacks' uh, wristbands with plays on it. They had the signs written on laminated cards that they put in their wristbands. Each pitcher had his five sets of signs written inside of his cap. So um, if they were moving from the second set to the third set and he needed to check things, he could he could double it up there. Um, and then they did things like, you know, use multiple signs even when no one was on base, even if there was just a runner on first. Um, if you go to traditional sign stealing, you need a runner on second who can see into the catcher and, and try to decipher the sequence. So, um whether the Astros were actually trying to steal signs in the 2019 World Series is not entirely known. What's known is that the Nationals were prepared for it. Um, they were able to clear their pitchers' heads, and, and those guys could go about it mentally, not worrying that um, Jose Altuve knew a curveball was coming. Barry, let me ask you this about it. Uh, after the, the dust settled, we, you know, they lose A.J. Hinch, they lose Lunau. Uh, up in Boston, Alex Cora. We saw what happened in New York with Beltran. With Beltran, well, in in terms of the punishments handed out, uh, and knowing that Stein, sign stealing has been going on for years and years and years in this game, uh, d- does this deter anybody now for what with what Manfred's done in 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 the punishment aspect? Well, Craig, I, th- I think it does. I think it has to. Um... You know, people are out of jobs. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, science healing has been going on for years and years and years. That's absolutely true. Um, it's been clear both in written memos from the commissioner and it's just kind of common sense that using technology and electronics to steal signs is a different level, and, that, and that's not to be permitted. If, if I can pick up your signs while I'm sitting on the bench or I'm on the base pass, then that's on you to yeah. decipher, to to do a better job of, of um, coding yourself up. Um, as far as the punishments go, uh, Manfred in, in 2017, late in that season when uh, the Red Sox were caught, Red Sox pre-Alex Cora were caught um, using signaling information from the video room out to the dugout via Apple Watch. Um, Manfred put a memo out then saying not only that uh, – electronics should not be used in in science dealing um but that a club's general manager and field manager um will be held responsible for that kind of conduct so that's what he used to levy the punishments against luna and hinch the the problem i have with how this went down is in manfred's report um he repeatedly calls it a player driven and player um the players came up with this system, um, and they're the ones who executed it. Yet, not a single player uh, will go to spring training with any sort of punishment. Carlos Beltran was right. a player on the team. He was supposed to be the manager of the Mets. He's out of a job, but not in a playing capacity. Um, so I just wonder, it will be very interesting at Astros uh, spring training right there in West Palm Beach with the Nationals. Um, That's interesting that the two of them yeah. trained at the <laughs> yeah, same well. It'll be interesting to see how Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman and, and uh, you know, Carlos Correa, anybody who might have been involved, because it, Manfred's report did say almost all the position players knew about and or participated in the system. 
Um, I don't think that fans are going to be satisfied with answers like, hey, that's in the past. I'm only looking forward. Um, right. I think they want to know who's really culpable for it, and I'll be interested to see uh what those answers are. Well, now their owner has already said that in, in spring training, players will apologize uh, for what went on. Now, whether that happens or not, I guess remains to be seen. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I don't think Jim Crane can make Jose Altuve apologize. If he's right. Not, if he's not contrite, truly contrite, then what good is the apology? Right. Um, those guys have got to look within themselves and, and figure out uh, how they feel about it and what their level of involvement was. I would say that Dallas Keuchel, um, who obviously wasn't on the Astros last year, had moved on, but was part of the 2017 World Series champions um, at a White Sox fan fest, his new team. Uh, he, he, he did apologize, and he's not one of the people who would have been involved in, you know, directly in that science dealing um, as a starting pitcher, but he knew about it. Uh, he didn't regulate it. Um, he kind of gave... Uh, a pretty solid answer that, um, you know, that shouldn't have been going on and I didn't do anything to stop it. We're talking with Barry Sverluga, a very fine sports writer for the Washington Post. Barry, a couple more questions about this and then we'll get to a couple current things before we let you go with the Nationals. Two people that did chime did, weren't bashful this week about talking, and I thought they both made a little bit of fools of themselves. In the case of Jessica Mendoza, I thought she made a big fool of herself by saying, uh, first in the morning on a talk show as a guest that uh, she thought that, you know, the, the whistleblower having having this wrong righted because of a whistleblower really didn't sit well with her. Uh, then about four hours later, she walked back and said, well, I'm really happy at the end result, but I just wish maybe this was found out more naturally. I thought she showed a a total naivete as to how sometimes wrongs need to be righted by by the effects of a whistleblower. Well, I mean, let me say this. I think Jessica Mendoza is one of the, the brightest people who cover um, the game. Um, I think she's been a, a total value add since um, she got that spot uh, as, a, as a, you know, real premier broadcaster with ESPN. Um, if you talk to people who talk to her, uh, particularly about hitting, she is. Um, she's very she's knowledgeable. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, I will say that uh, if she had initially said, "Look, I think the preference of Major League Baseball players themselves would have been that Mike Fires go to MLB and not to the media," um, that's fine. That's I mean, a I fair really comment. Yep. Yep. But it, it was it was a little bit of the the walking back that came out as awkward. If her real sentiment is, "Hey." Um, there is a code in the clubhouse, and that's really important, and I know how seriously guys take that. And what we should be doing is turning them into the cops, not into you know, baseball's cops, baseball's department of investigations, not turning to um, a sports writer. I would also say, though, that um, if you're a major league player, in some cases it's, it's a lot easier to turn to um, a sports writer because these are people you have relationships with, you know, you, you can kind of decipher here's who I trust, here's who I don't. Um, the Department of Investigations is kind of opaque. They're not sitting there with a in an office saying, you know, if the door the door's open, come in whenever you want. So um, so I get it. I get it from all sides. I think she made a misstep, uh, but I think the walk back was probably about how she originally felt. The other, the other person that chimed in this week was Scott Boris, and I also thought that his comments, they're more, to me, they're much more interesting 
that he's saying that the players were sort of, this was all led by the organization initially, and they thought that the equipment was put in, that it was authorized, that they were being told to do it, that that was authorized from above. Your thoughts on what Scott Boris said? Well, I mean, Scott Boris has no interest in protecting any organization and every interest in protecting um, his players, uh, his clients. So I get where that's coming from. I also... But, uh, but aren't some, Barry, not to interrupt you, but aren't some of his players the very guys that may have had their their uh, statistics affected adversely by the cheating of the team? Also possible. Yeah. But, but um, I mean, you know, we could go through every bat yeah. of every Scott sure. Forrest client against the Astros <laughs> from 17 and 18 and yeah. try to figure that out. Yeah. Um, what I would say is... Um, there is an organizational culpability. If you if you take uh, Boris out of the equation and just say that, um, you know, one, Manfred had put clubs on notice, clubs, general managers and field managers on notice for that kind of behavior, that it's almost like an NCAA institutional control issue. You're, you are responsible for knowing what goes on um, at levels below your, your level of employment. He is also right that... I don't think a player went out to center field and put the extra camera out there that trained in on uh, the catcher's signs. Um, That had to be somebody from the video department, somebody with knowledge of how to work that, somebody who has a boss who you may want to, you know, let know, um, hey, I'm doing this, I'm setting up the system, we've got this, you know, we've got another screen that we're bringing down closer to the dugout, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Somebody ought to run that up the chain of command. Yeah. I think the players, in their own conscience, should have understood that what they were doing was wrong. But I also think it's not crazy for Scott Boris or anybody else to suggest that, whether openly or tacitly, uh, the the organization was endorsing those tactics by not stopping it. Craig? All right. Uh, let me ask you this. We're a couple, two and a half, three weeks away from spring training. Last night, Ryan Zimmerman... Back in the fold, it's a one-year deal, $2 million, a chance for it to be more than that with incentives. Uh, I don't think anybody thought that this wasn't going to get done, uh, but they, they waited a long time to get it done. Yeah, they did. That was a little mystifying and a little frustrating uh, um, for the Zimmerman side. Uh, but I, I do think there was kind of a quiet confidence that it, that it would happen. Um, Ryan from... You know, the end of last season, the, the regular season, before you knew anything about what was going to happen in the postseason, was was very open and realistic. One with, you know, look, I know I'm not an $18 million player anymore. Um, you don't want to run me out there 150 times a game because I'm not going to be able to do that. I mean, at times of season. Um, and so I get it. I'm a, I'm a part-time player. I think I'm still a valuable part-time player. Um, the structure of the deal makes a ton of sense just because – if he plays, he's going to be playing because he deserves to play. He'll make more money for games played and, and played appearance thresholds um, that could top out at $5 million. It doesn't put the Nats in any sort of financial harm as they um, try to stay under the collective uh, the luxury tax, which they are. Um, still gives them flexibility at the trade deadline if they need to go out and get whatever sort of piece uh, that we don't know about yet. Um, and it you know, more than that, it um, there's a symbolic nature to uh, Zimmerman as a Nat. Um, yeah. it's, it's better that he, if he, if there was a chance that he wanted to play this year, 
um, it's better that the two sides reach agreement and um, he can kind of go out on his own terms. And, you know, if, if he's healthy, if the foot's right uh, and there's a left-handed pitcher on the mound, um, you're still going to see an 850 OPS from, from Ryan Zimmerman at age 35. So, yeah. Bar- um, makes sense. Barry, last question I've got for you. I think Mike Rizzo, despite the loss of Anthony Rendon, has had a pretty darn good uh, offseason this year. To me, the biggest question mark going into this season is can Max Scherzer still be what we what we say when we say Max Scherzer? Uh, do you have any doubts that there might be something that could blow up uh, early in this uh you know, spring training or early in the season with him? Well, I think the Scherzer point is a, is a good one. Um, I think doubting Max Scherzer is a dangerous proposition, uh, <laughs> whatever his age is. Yeah. Um, but, but put it this way, and I said this to Max at, at, um, at the fan fest they had here, you know, everybody treats Zimmerman like he's the grandpa around, around there, but, but Max is actually over the, older than yeah, Zim. Yeah. So this organization before they won division titles, before they won the World Series, uh, was always built on on starting pitching. Mike Rizzo says time and again, with starting pitching, anything is possible. Without starting pitching, nothing is possible. And so the equation, you know, if you're going to evaluate it that way, then Strasburg was more important to bring that back than Rendon. And having Max Scherzer be the, a version of Max Scherzer is very, very important. Um, I have no reason to believe that he really knows his body. He takes care of his body. Um, the, the odometer is going to tick too high at some point. Yeah, um, It'll be worth watching this year to see to see where he lands. All one, right. one last question from me. Who really wants to be a teammate of Mike Fires right now? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, I, I the A's handled it well. I mean, they, yeah. they said – Look, we're going to stand behind him. He felt like it was wrong. They, the A's play in that division. They would have faced Houston 18, 19 times a year. Um, so I, I don't. I wish there were more Mike Fires. I, yeah. I wish there were more you know, people I do that too. that was wrong, and um, I didn't want to be a part of it, and I was uncomfortable with it at the time. Uh, and I'm going to be honest about it. All right, Barry Sverluga, always enjoy your work. Thank you very much for taking some time out of your Saturday morning to join us. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Remind you that the Batter Round is presented by Mobile One. Mobile One full synthetic motor oil helps extend engine life. Visit your local Jiffy Lube service center and ask for Mobile One. We're broadcasting from the live casino hotel studios, and we remind you of that. And also remind you that today's show is sponsored by Citron Restaurant and Bar. You'll love their fresh Atlantic seafood, sushi, and thick grass-fed steaks. They're Wagyu beef burgers to die for. CitronBaltimore.com. And we again remind you that we're broadcasting from the live casino hotel studios. And joining us right now is the skipper of the Norfolk Tides. Uh, And they will uh, start playing in early April, I guess. Uh, And he is Gary Kendall. Gary, thanks for joining us. Good to be here, Stan. How hey, are you doing? Good. We're we're doing great. You're on with good. Craig Heist and myself. Hey, Gary. How are you, man? And, good, Frank. How you doing? It's Craig. 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 <laughs> oh, Craig. I'm sorry. That's all right. I always call him Fred, but that's yeah, okay. Fred. All right. Hey, Gary. Um, I go by Frank when I'm not really doing what I'm <laughs> not supposed to be doing. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. 
Hey, Gary, uh, first of all, when I said you open in early April, Major League Baseball is opening earlier than ever, March 26th. Yeah. Are you guys actually opening in April, or will you open in March? We're pushed back a little bit. We're pushed actually the opposite way. We're going, I believe the last time I looked, it was April 9th. I want okay. to say that's correct. Okay. Um, usually it's four or five days prior to that. Okay. Um, so there's going to be a longer gap once the Major League Club breaks out of Sarasota to go north, and then that time between us staying in spring training. And usually it's like four or five days, and then we break. So there's not a whole lot of time for those AAA players to, you know, come down and, and kind of get adjusted and before we leave out of Sarasota to go up to Norfolk. But uh, this year it's going to be probably a week and a half or so. Um, so it's going to be a lot more time down there. Gary, uh, I, I texted you a whole bunch of players we want to get into, but before uh-huh. we talk about specific players, what did you find the biggest difference between managing a double-A team and managing players at that age and level of development versus managing a triple-A? What was the biggest difference for you? Um, you know what, it was, it was kind of uh, just dealing with the roster moves more than anything. Um, you know, I mean, there, there's definitely a little uh, a little difference in the, the, the player. Um, when a player gets sent down, um, you know, sometimes, if, you know, they're on the roster, they, they get 72 hours to report. and Sometimes they're not the happiest guy in the, in, in the clubhouse. So sometimes you have to, uh, I'm not saying, uh, you know, get there and kind of cuddle up to them, but you have to be understanding and you have to understand that, you know, they're disappointed about coming down, and you have to have some, uh, sometimes a sympathetic ear, and, and you uh, you encourage them. Um, I spent a lot of time last year, you know, trying to get them back on that horse and telling them everything's all right, and, and our job is to correct those flaws, the reason why you were sent here. And uh, and since sometimes it was just usage, you know, how they were used up at the big league level, sometimes they you know, they weren't going to have any value to them for a couple of days, so they would send them down. And, and sometimes those players understand that. But it was it was more of the roster moves, you know, dealing with that daily, losing a starter maybe an hour before the game, and a starting pitcher, so having to cover a game with your bullpen. And because it doesn't always affect you that night, it affects you in days to come. And it's not so much about the – I'm not saying it in regards to a win or a loss. I'm saying it in regards to having to pitch a position player, having to – uh, trying to keep the club some integrity, and um, you know, and, and be fair to the kid, and not hurt anyone. You know, sometimes that pitcher will say, yeah, "I can give you three innings," and you know, the score and the results aren't indicative of him giving you three innings. And you know, you don't want to do that to a kid that's out there and just trying to do something for your ball club to get you through a game. So you don't want to hurt anyone in that process. And um, you know, and, 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 and in fairness to the organization, they tried to get me as many players as they could uh, when we would lose players. But the, the toughest drawback is when, you know, when, when they send out two or three relievers and they, they take their time and, they, you know, they take their 72 hours or, right. or close to it and they pull those players immediately from your roster, sometimes you're pitching with a bullpen instead of, you know, having eight guys. You're, you're down to four or five, and those four or five are guys that you might have used up kind of in the days prior. So it's a challenge. Um, it's something I got used to, but it's something that's always, I think, going to be there. 
um, and you just have to manage through it. Gary, to kind of piggyback on Stan's question when he asked you about the difference between, you know, double-A and and triple-A, so much in the last, I guess, five to ten years, we see more people getting called up to the major leagues from double-A. Right. And in terms of just how players feel about that, uh, what's the general consensus? I mean, do they do they understand what what the club's trying to do? Yeah, I think they do. You know, last year it didn't happen. I don't know. I don't know that it happened at all. Um, but I know some years past when I was fortunate enough to have a Machado or, or guys like that, and they and they utilized that maybe as as kind of like a rehab spot for them. It happens, but I think I think the AAA player realizes you know what's best for the organization. And sometimes, you know, they have to, you know, have to absorb it and have to understand it. You know, there's there's sometimes those prospects are there. Uh, but I think it, it kind of depends on the wave of the player. Uh, we started to see it more when we had waves of, of, of young players, you know, the Mancinis and the Ciscos and, and things like that that were coming through. But, um, you know, like last year, I didn't see it as much. They utilized the AAA, especially our relievers, more than – um, than I think I ever saw it at Double A, so I think it just depends on the shape of the roster and what guys are there and who's ready, you know, at that point, you right. know. But I, I, but I do see that trend that you're talking about, and um, it's generally because a lot of times that you know the Double A leagues were were loaded with prospects. I know in the Eastern League, not just the Orioles, but uh, the Mets and different teams like that were utilizing that their their Double A team. Uh, for guys going to the big leagues. Yeah, we're broadcasting from the Live Casino Hotel Studios. Our guest is Gary Kendall, the manager of the Norfolk Tides, AAA affiliate of the Baltimore Orioles. And we urge you, if you're watching this on Facebook Live, to like the show and share the show. Uh, Gary, you know, I, I hadn't mentioned Trey Mancini in my text to you as a player I wanted to ask you about because we see him up here and and – we say, ah, why ask Gary Kendall about him? But I, I have to ask you, when you had him coming through Bowie, did you think he was this type of player? Um, you know, you never know what kind of results you're going to have up there um, as far as the consistency. I knew, I could say this, I, I knew he had it in him because I knew of the, the work ethic that he put into and how much time he put in uh, to his hitting approach. Uh, what he demanded upon himself, um, he had the makings of the hitter he is. But sometimes, you know, we've all seen hitters that, you know, that are earmarked for that great success and, and go up there and uh, really just struggle. And the league makes adjustments. And, you know, hitting's a, a series of nothing but adjustments. And that's a tribute to Trey because I'm sure um, he's one up there with some deficiencies and he's worked um, to be more well-rounded and when pitchers attack those spots that were his weaknesses, you know, he's he's managed to, to, to hold it together. And uh, what a consistent year last year, and we were all really happy for him. But I, I saw a lot of great things out of him, and, and mostly in the, in the work department, how, what he put into it, and um, his humbleness and his whole approach to the game. He was just a pro, and, and uh, at a very um, – well, I wouldn't say young age, but he was a guy that was kind of fresh out of college, and you know he showed a lot of those professional mannerisms it takes to be a really good hitter. So let me ask you about kind of the flip side of Trey Mancini to me is Chance Cisco. 
and and you had chance at Double A, and you also had him last year. Where I imagine he might have shown shown up disappointed that he wasn't on the big league club after a fantastic start right. to the exhibition season last year, and then. This organization, with where they are right now, is focusing on finishing development of players. But how disappointed was Chance when he got to you last year? Well, there was a certain level. We had we had a little talk, our staff and, and, and Chance, at the beginning of the season prior to our game, our first game. And, you know, there was disappointment. And he, he let us know that, you know, that he would have liked to have been on that roster and that, that roster going north. But... He knew what job lied ahead for him in Norfolk, and you didn't see it at his play. Mm-hmm. You never saw it once um, where he showed uh, discouragement on the field, where you know he was, you know, made comments, or you know, I never heard any kind of things kind of kind of coming from in his from his direction, any negativity uh, towards the organization. He, he understands. I mean, you know. It's it's fair. Spring training was uh, never more fair, and and the ball club was picked the way they they felt that it should have been picked, and and he had to handle it. But but I, I hope that uh, you know I hope that next year you know he makes that ball club, and you know we you know we had that conversation when he left. So, um, so let me jump forward North though. He he started off fairly poor last year and then from i guess about may 10th may 15th for about six seven weeks he 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 went red hot yeah um what happens to him when he goes to the big leagues and it doesn't translate totally to to being the kind of hitter we think he can be what happens to him yeah well i'm sure he gets uh he fights it a little bit because he's always had success um, you know, I know Chance puts a lot of time. He's in Florida now, actually, down there working out. And, um, you know, nobody's going to work harder. I'm sure he's disappointed. But, um, I mean, like we I talked about earlier about the adjustments that he needs to make to be a successful hitter, um, you know, lefties, righties, to be day in and day out, to, you know, just put it together and put that consistency that he gets in the minor leagues to duplicate it in the big leagues. It's a challenge. It's not easy. But, um you know, he puts his work, he puts his time into it. But I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there's some discouraged uh, moments, you know, that when it don't transpire to the, at the big league level. Well, let me ask you this, Gary. I, you know, we, we think about Ryan Mountcastle and, mm-hmm. and you know, the, the just the pro- projection, if you will, of him becoming an everyday guy up here at the big league level. Now, this past week, Chris Davis was on our local radio show up here, and he, and he the hot stove show. He, he yeah. said that you know he's bulked up, getting ready for this season, but he hasn't changed the swing all that much. And I'm just wondering to to, to struggle the way he has the past two three years. And to maybe not try to do things mechanically a little different is that a concern for you at all? We're talking about Chris Davis. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I really don't know how to answer that because I never managed Chris. I mean, I, I, I hope for the best for Chris, and I don't mean to evade your question, but I, I never had him on a club other than been in a rehab, and certainly the organization wants nothing but success for Chris and and uh, for the club and. You know, because the better he does, the 
the better our club does. But, you know, you like to see, you know, some pro- progressive, you know, you like to see them progress and, and get better and improve. But uh, I really don't have much to comment about that because I've never really had Chris. Well, I, I didn't mean to, to bring Ryan Mancouncil's mm-hmm. name into that without telling you why is because Chris also mentioned – he said, you know, I know this is a guy that's uh, a player in weight. Right. And, and he also knows that uh, his mortality in the game, if you will, is, is maybe not Clock's too far. Clock's ticking. Clock's ticking, right? And, right. you know, so if, you know, with Ryan, being, if he gets up here, uh, what can we expect from him going forward maybe that we haven't seen to this point? Well, you know, to me, Ryan, uh, of course, you know, he signed as a shortstop, moved to third, played some first base more first base than anywhere last year in Norfolk. And he went to the outfield later in the year, which was kind of interesting because he kind of took to it some. There's some work that remains out there, but uh, he's a guy that uh, some things happened kind of quickly for him out there, and he started to adapt. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we're, we've written him off at first base in any way, but there's no guarantees that when Ryan goes to the big leagues that he will be um, uh, a left fielder or a first baseman primarily. I mean, I think, if anything, he's helped his versatility by learning to play both positions. And um, I know Ryan puts a lot of work into playing first base, and he made a lot of strides from when he left spring training to get to uh, to get there. And you know, at the end of the season, he made a lot of strides at first base, but he may also made some strides in, in left field. So. I think uh, the organization is going to kind of look at both, but I, I don't think that should have anything to do with Chris. I mean, I, I, I look at, you know, hopefully in a, in a perfect world, if they both have fine seasons, they both can mesh and, and, and fit somewhere in that lineup. Yeah. You know, so I, I hope that, uh, you know, Chris doesn't refer to the fact that, you know, his clock's ticking and he's only, a, you know, Ryan's only a moment away from him not being an oral anymore. I mean, you hope, that that player has, uh, you know, has that intestinal fortitude to keep driving and keep improving, and and uh, and because there's room for both of them, there's so, always room for good players on your roster, and there are always room for good players on the roster. Ryan Mountcastle, his defense aside, offensively, I know that's a pretty darn impressive year he has at his age yeah. at Triple A, where he's probably one of the younger players in all the league, and he wins the MVP. How does he finish off his development to where that strikeout-to-walk ratio begins to be a little bit more projective of him having an eye that can discern and not punch himself out so much? Well, I think it comes from a lot of the – you know, we were, we were just in an instructional league in Florida, and Ryan uh, participated in it. And one of the um, the focuses of all the players that were down there, there were 22 offensive players down there, and the focus was a lot of swing decisions. Swing decisions earlier in the count, swing decisions with two strikes. And, you know, we had conversations. You know, Butch Davis was our hitting coach last year, and uh, when Jeff Manto would come in or whatever, we would talk with Ryan about, you know, there was a stretch there where, you know, you feel that Ryan got himself out more than the pitchers got him out. And, a lot of it was swing decisions, um, kind of swinging at a pitch that, you know, whether it be earlier in the count, whether it be late in the count, but a lot of times last year it was earlier in the count. You know, um, he would swing a lot of times at the pitcher's pitch early in the count. 
So I think there, there's things you can do, and I think there's things that are going to be measured and trained that we're going to take in spring training. And our philosophy, and I'm not saying it's 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 okay to strike out looking, right? But there were so many times in a ball game where you know you get a three-two count and the guy will swing at ball five, ball six, ball seven, you know, <laughs> until he eventually walks, strikes out, pops up, whatever. And um, so our focus is to lay off those pitches and take our walk. And uh, nobody's still better telling Ryan Mountcastle with the bases loaded if he gets a good hit pitch to walk. You know, so we didn't want to get that misconstrued. We want him to be aggressive, but we want him to be aggressive in the strike zone. So I think it's it's something I think he's going to be able to do. Um, but I, I thought, out of all the accomplishments, I, I mean, I know you know they wanted the strikeouts to be lower, and maybe a couple more walks in, in that regard. But um, I, I look at all the positiveness that was for that season and the youth and. You know, if, if he had to start the year, I think he's it's going to be he's going to be a much more refined hitter. He's an intelligent guy, and um, he has a knack to swing the bat. and I and I think there's always going to be improvement from year to year with Ryan. Yeah, Usniel Diaz. Uh, what are we expecting to see from him uh, as this uh, year comes about? You had him. Well, bri- you had him, him briefly year. in eighteen, correct? Yeah. yeah, I had him briefly in eighteen, and I really liked him. I mean, he's an athletic guy that can really do a whole lot. To affect your lineup because of his, he has speed. He can defend. He can throw. He's got a lot of tools. And um, I just recently saw him down in Florida, uh, where I hadn't saw him really in, in almost a year. And um, he's bigger. He's stronger. Um, I thought he made a really good impression in spring training last year about how he played. And um, so hopefully he can continue um, to progress the way. Uh, we as an organization think he could. You know, I mean, I know when he was there in 18, uh, there was some, you know, some breaking ball issues and some things, some decision-making with the swing um, that could have been a little better. So um, hopefully he can stay healthy because I know that was that was part of his problem last year at AA was staying healthy. Um, so hopefully he's in a mix and uh, at the big league level. And, you know, if he doesn't make that club, then, you know, hopefully he's in Norfolk, and I and I'm looking forward to the challenge of helping him. We got just a few more minutes with Gary Kendall, the manager of the Norfolk Tides. We appreciate your time, Gary. Remind folks we're list, we're broadcasting from the Live Casino Hotel Studios. Gary, I want to get to. I'm going to hopefully get you sometime, maybe in May or something, when the season's okay. well underway, and we can talk about. Zach Lother, Michael Bowman, and and this okay. starting group. But I do want to talk about a couple pitchers that you had, and that's Dylan Tate and Hunter Harvey, and how both have been sort of, by by organizational design now, pi- pigeonholed, not pigeonholed, placed in the role of relief pitchers mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. Your thoughts on what kind of pitchers these guys can be at the major league level because I think they have a chance to be important arms for manager Brandon Hyde this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like both of them. I mean, it's it's what's not to like when you see a, the ball jump out of a guy's hand, and I'm talking about Hunter. I mean, Hunter's throws upwards in upper 90s and uh, with a lot of fastball life, um, real good secondary pitches. Uh, what I saw this year that I never saw ever in his professional career was the command of those pitches. And I think people in Baltimore got a glimpse of that. Uh, 
Early in Norfolk season last year, he had one kind of really rocky outing that kind of hurt his numbers, and he was fighting that as a relief pitcher. That happens to yeah. you, and you fight those numbers until you those innings build up. And then, you know, he was kind of programmed as far as his outings that were in, in AAA. Um, you know, as an organization, we came together, and through Chris Holt, we came up with these set outings of when he was going to pitch. And then right before he went to the big leagues, they wanted to see him in a back-to-back outing. Um, which we did. He got through healthy, and there were never any setbacks, uh, really, in, in his health. I mean, other than just the normal tenderness that you get as a pitcher. But uh, he was a dominant reliever in the league, and I kind of liked what the organization did. First of all, here's a guy that's always had problems with his health yep. or staying healthy. And whether it's starting or relieving down the road, I, I, I just looked at it because I saw him at both. And uh, I know how he looked and what what the hitters looked at, how they saw it when he came out of the bullpen. It wasn't it was not uncomfortable at bat for a hitter. Um, here's a guy that has three unbelievable pitches that he could get righties and lefties out with. So I think you know his usage of his arsenal in that role, and whether it's a one two inning, you know, regardless mm-hmm. of how he's. Be- yeah, yeah, no question about that. What about Tate? You like Tate? I think we lost Gary Kendall. I think we lost Gary Kendall. I thought that was I thought that was really a rather weird. abrupt ending to his commentary. Well, and it was funny because Hunter I didn't Army. I didn't know whether he was uh, I didn't know whether he was done or yeah, but I, it was really sounded weird. Is he still? Are we still having trouble with the phone? Okay. No, nah, just just I think. Uh, Can you try him back real quick? Okay. All right, we, I just wanted to wrap up real quick with him, talk to him a little bit about Austin Hayes. I'm interested to see, not just with, well, yes, Austin Hayes, but uh, I'm interested to see what kind of pitching uh, this team is going to get up here this year. Uh, is so, our phone dead? There's no dial tone. I have no idea. Okay. All right. Well, that will certainly ruin See what happens when you don't pay the bill. (laughs) (laughs) That will certainly ruin our chances to get uh, Bill Latson on as well. Yeah. All right. Nothing. Nothing. All right. Well, that certainly certainly put the onus on us. Do me a favor, though. Call him from my phone and just tell him what happened so he doesn't think we just rudely left him. And then maybe call Bill Latson and tell him the same thing. Uh, yeah, because you and I, we got the pressure on us. We got now. the pressure on us now. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I just want to see what, what kind of starting pitching we're going to see up here this year, uh, and uh, you know everybody's talking about, well, you know what well, kind of an improvement are we going to see? Is it going to show up in the wins and loss column? Uh, but going forward, uh, there there's some things to be excited about. I think for this club, and and again. You know, the, the amount of games that you win if you're an Orioles fan this year or the club is going to be determined a lot about, you know, what they do starting pitching-wise. And uh, I, I know there's some things in place, but, uh, again, it'll be interesting to see how they uh, – it'll be interesting to see how they uh, balance that out and shake it out to, to come up with something, uh, you know, formidable in the starting rotation. Is it working now? Okay. All right. We're going to be without that phone, so we're going to be without okay. guests. Let me give you a question, okay? Yeah. Uh, 
the Orioles talked about a week ago that they might have enough money to, to make one more player acquisition. Then we heard about Tim Beckham as a possible uh, target. Right. Do you think there's a chance we're we're already getting close to February 1st, you know, that and you're Andrew, three weeks that away, Andrew yeah. Kashner could be their last sort of signing. Now it's working. Okay. All right. Well, you know what? I, Let's get, I would have absolutely no trouble with Andrew Kashner being back here only because I think you know what you get. And he's going to be uh, certainly a guy who can help uh, some of these young guys in the rotation and on the staff in general. But I, so from that standpoint, if, if it's, if it's club friendly, I have absolutely no problem with Kashner coming back here. Yeah. I think it would make sense. I think they need a guy that you could sort of pencil in. I, I think the difference on the rest of the pitching staff, and by the way, our phone is working. We're going to just take a time out in a minute and then get to Bill Latson. Okay. But I think the difference on guys like Tate, Harvey, Blyer, if Armstrong's here, the difference on their how overused they could become if you don't go out and get one more guy that's a little bit of a proven innings eater – I think it could make a huge difference this year. Oh, I think so, too. And you, you remember you, you're talking about, a, in a lot of cases, guys who have never worked that deep into a season. So I, I think there'll be a conscious effort not to overwork guys. So from that standpoint, I think a Cashner is a good guy to bring back here if, you know, obviously he doesn't sign somewhere else. Craig, can I get you to sure. hold this T-shirt up into your camera? Yep. All right. And as we get Craig to do that, we'll we'll ask folks to celebrate Baltimore's dominant offensive line with the brand new Most Valuable Protectors t-shirt, which recognizes how the incredible O-line has helped pave the way for an MVP quarterback. When you buy the MVP shirt, not only will you be supporting the team, you'll also be donating to the Bradley and Nikki Bozeman Foundation and their efforts to eliminate bullying in schools. The shirt is available in white and gray for just $25, and a long-sleeve shirt is now also available at $29.99. Go now to bozemanshirt.com. That's bozemanshirt.com. Buy a shirt, support your team, and help stop bullying. This is a great, great cause. and Well, they're I, I, traveling. They're starting to travel like next week after the Super Bowl all around the country to talk at schools about anti-bullying. Anti-bullying. And if you did not see the Dick Vitale interview on ESPN about him being bullied as a kid. Oh, I thought he was bullied No, like no, week. no. I mean, it, I mean, to this day, yeah. it affected him to the point where even this day, to this day when he talks about it, Stan, he gets, he gets emotional, he starts to cry. So, uh, again... When that yeah, kind of thing, when, when that kind of thing goes on, it leaves scars. No question. And about uh, it. some sometimes you don't quite get over them. All right, well said. Real barbecue and an amazing selection of whiskey and microbrews. When you come to Blue Pit Barbecue in Hamden, you get the cool atmosphere and the best barbecue in the area. All made fresh and smoked every single day. Open for lunch and open late. Blue Pit is also great for parties and events. Go to their website, bluepitbbq.com, for menus and directions. Craig, we're a week out from the Super Bowl. Uh, no better place to watch the Super Bowl 
then the cost is in. Well, that's true because uh, I'm sure when uh, we find out a little bit more on the details end of it, uh, they will have a all-you-can-eat buffet uh, for the Super Bowl, and uh, that's always great with the pit beef and uh, the shrimp and everything that goes along with it, and uh, that can uh, that can really start your afternoon around three or four o'clock, and then get into the game at six, and then uh, enjoy your day at the Costas Inn. Yeah, and great. again, we're a week away from the Super Bowl. If you're thinking of going there. Any night. Yeah, tonight, make, make a reservation. Night, make a reservation for crabs if crabs is your choice. Uh, 410-477-1975. You can't go to a crab house and just assume they're going to have crabs. Right. Uh, great specials on the menu each and every day of the week. Crab cake night on Monday, ribs night on Tuesday, steak night on Wednesday with half-price bottles of wine, and lobster night on Thursday, and uh, prime ribs to die for. And also, get out there, Stan, black and scallops. All right. Uh, we'll take a quick time out here, and then we're going to talk to our friend Bill Latson. Again, we apologize for a technical glitch on our phones. I don't know what happened, but that's why Gary Kendall got cut off so quickly. Our children's future starts at a very young age, and Catholic schools prepare them for that future. Academic excellence with the belief that all students will succeed. A balanced curriculum integrating music and arts, foreign language and Catholic faith, while challenging students in the areas of science, math, and technology. Discover the Catholic school's difference. Enroll today. Visit archbalt.org schools for more information or to find a school near you. Okay, I'm getting an Italian cold cut with oil and vinegar. Turkey and Swiss with extra mayo for me. And I want a ham and cheese with everything. Before we go to the game, we go to Royal Farms. It's not football without a Royal Farms sub. At Royal Farms, it's all fresh. And delicious. In this town, you don't tailgate with a hoagie. You tailgate with a Royal Farms sub and world-famous chicken. Royal Farms. Real fresh. Real fast. Real Baltimore. Check out Costa's Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. They're known far and wide for their great steamed crabs and crab cakes. And their nightly specials also include crab cake night on Monday, rib night on Tuesday, steak night on Wednesdays with a half-price bottle of wine, and lobster night on Thursdays. Check out CostasInn.com to find out more. And the delicious crab cakes are shipped anywhere. Baltimore's favorite bar is just 771 feet from home plate. Sliders Bar and Grill, just steps from Camden Yards, is the perfect sports bar for Terps and Caps season with all the games on dozens of TVs. Sliders daily specials include Mexican Monday, Wing Ding Wednesday, Bloody Brunch Sunday, and more with different drink specials every day of the week, including Fancy Clancy Pilsner. Find out about all of the parties and get info on having your own party or company event at slidersbaltimore.com. Sliders, one of Baltimore's original continuously operating bars. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our very special Press Box Best of 2019 issue presented by Maryland Sports Commission. On the cover, we recognize Lamar Jackson as Athlete of the Year, and Bill Ardine honors the inspirational Mo Gabba as our Sports Person of the Year. Inside the issue, we celebrate the top people, performances, and moments of the year. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. 
If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. He is Mr. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate it, y'all. How y'all doing? He is Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. You bet, guys. How you guys doing? Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. Baltimore's own Javante Davis. Thank you. I appreciate it. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Welcome back to the Battle Round. Craig Heist with Stan the Fan Charles. Hey, Frank. How you doing? Hey, Frank. Absolutely. And uh, we move right along, and uh, coming up now, we are going to talk to our good buddy Bill Latson. I thought it was Phil, Phil Latson. Phil Latson and Frank Heist. <laughs> Actually, yeah, good it old is Gary, Bill Latson. Good old Gary Kendall, you know what I mean? How are you, Bill Latson? Hey, do great, guys. How you doing? Doing good, doing good. Uh, appreciate your coming on, as always, each week, and uh Apologize for the lateness in getting to you. We just had a weird uh, glitch. We were interviewing uh, Orioles AAA manager Gary Kendall, and all of a sudden the phones just went dead. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That happened last week with you guys. Yeah, yeah you're right. It did. Uh, so it's been a big week for you. You had Derek Jeter into the Hall yeah. of Fame. Yeah. And uh, obviously uh, y- yesterday you were at the uh, press conference. Uh, for the Mets, uh, talk a little yeah. bit about that and how did that go? I, I heard your voice in the press conference. I heard Rich Catino's voice in the press conference. All the people that I've worked with down through the years. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was it was really good. Uh, I, I tell you, I I know the controversy with Carlos Beltran, but I really got the feeling that the Mets really felt good about uh, hiring Luis uh, Rojas. And, uh, you know, what helps is that he knows the players. He imagines these guys like Pete Alonzo in the minor leagues. Uh, I, I really think this guy is going to be a positive influence on the Mets. I really do. And, uh, you know, I think they're talented enough to go to the postseason. I mean, it, I think it depends on the bullpen. Bill, it's really interesting to me, and I, and I could be totally off base on this, from the outside, it seemed like when they picked the Car- Carlos Beltran, it seemed like Eduardo Perez was the runner-up in that process. Am I wrong there? Because then wouldn't it have made sense to return to him when you let Beltran uh, go? Well, he, well, here's the deal. You are right. He was runner-up. But, I mean, I, I think going with Luis Rojas was the right thing because okay. he, he, he knows these players. And he's and he's uh, you know he's been around forever. He's been in the Mets minor league system for fifteen years. So I, so why not uh, give a break? And uh, I thought it was a wise decision by the Mets. It's just interesting to me. I, the The thing is, I don't I don't question whether he knows these people. You know, knows the players, knows how to manage. I mean, managed about thirteen hundred minor league games, I think, or eleven hundred minor league games. But um, the question is, who would be better suited to handle the media in New York? And I, I, my fear 
is that they've got a guy who's going to have like the deer in the headlights look when the media starts asking tough questions. I don't think he's going to be a deer in the headlights, so Stan, because I look at his background, and he has a great background, man. I mean, his father's Felipe Alou. Right. His brother is Moises Alou. Right. And I think they taught him how to handle things. I mean, his, you know, he watched his father go through plenty of controversial stuff in Montreal. Mm-hmm. So I, I think this guy knows about dealing with people in New York. His father also played with the Yankees. So, I mean, I'm expecting big things from uh, Luis uh, Rojas. No question about it. This hire was weird for me, only from the standpoint of, as you said, you got a guy who's been around a lot of these players, and I and I kind of thought back to when Davey Johnson was managing the Nationals, and then after the 13 season, they were trying to figure out who was going to manage manage the club again. It turned out to be Matt Williams, right? But there was a guy on Davey's bench and Randy Nor, right? Who this they bypassed. This, this, they bypassed, but the same kind of thing knew all the players. And at that time, that roster was full of players that Randy had at the minor league level. And and that's kind of what I kind of equated it to, Bill. And I don't know how much different this was for you seeing him being hired up in, in New York. I, I really didn't. I mean, when, when they announced they were hiring uh, you know, Luis Rojas, I, you know what, I got to tell you, I, do I think that was Brody Van Wagenen's move? No. I really think that was the front office. I think they determined it's time to give someone in the organization another chance. And I think they made the right decision. I mean, this guy, yes, he knows analytics, but he paid his dues on the minor leagues, and that's rare these days in baseball. Yeah, it I mean, this certainly guy is. paid his dues. And I'm saying to myself, why not? So, I mean, I, I think with this hire, there's no controversy. I mean, this guy is articulate. He knows what he's doing. And uh, I think the players will respond. How many of the answers did you understand in Spanish, though? That's what I want to know. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't uh, understand anything, but that's all right. I mean, uh, it was great to see his family there and, uh, you know, uh, and talk about his uh, father and brother, too. I watched a video of something at the very end of the press conference. Jeff Wilpon comes up with the jersey, number 19, and, he, and they hand it to Luis Rojas, and he sort of has a little trouble, and you'll watch this later today. Yeah. Tell me if I'm – it just was something that stuck with me. He's having a little trouble putting the jersey on. He gets it on, and he gets the first button okay. The second button, he's having a little trouble. Brody Van Wagner's got his hat and is, like, holding it out for him to, like, grab the hat and put it on, and he can't get the second button – done and he finally gets the button and Brody Van Wagnen is impatiently like sort of giving him the hat right and so he puts the hat on and he turns to take the picture with Wilpon and him and his jersey has the first two buttons and then it's like yeah, yeah it just kind of really opens looked, up it really looked bad and I just I I just worry that they've they've made a mess of things again the New York Mets I, I don't think so Stan I all think- right yeah, you, you know. Uh, I hope I'm wrong because I, I love his father and I always loved the player. Uh, 
Do you understand the situation? Somebody read this to me yesterday. Alex Parker read to me why his name is Rojas and why the Alus are the Alus, but yet he is the son of Philippe Alou. Do you understand yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, they, uh, you know, they sometimes take the grandmother's uh, last name or, you know, because that is, uh, if you look at Felipe Alou's baseball card or his brother's baseball cards, I mean, they have the middle name of Rojas in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, sometimes they take the grandmother's, like, uh, yeah. middle name, I believe it was. It apparently, and, you know, apparently, the issue is that the Lou name is not the correct name. That the Rojas name is really the correct last name of the family. So I yeah, don't know. I, I, yeah, I think they just, you know, it took the grandmother's name, which is Rojas, I believe, and it just took it from there. I mean, there's nothing controversial about it at all. Well, now I was very disappointed with you this week. I have to, I have to be honest and say this in front of everybody. I did not get a text when Derek Jeter went into the Hall of Fame. And I was very disappointed by that. Well, actually, you know, my job uh, that day was to cover Larry Walker. I, I know, and, I know, I saw yeah. it. And, uh, but, you know, you know, a lot of people wanted to see Derek Jeter. I mean, uh, you know, it was time for one-on-ones after the press conference. Probably no one went to Larry Walker. Right, yeah. So, uh, so that that was hard, to be honest with you. Well, you know, and, that, and that's sometimes when you get your best stuff. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. No and, question and, about it. And let's face it. I mean, you, you, you look at Larry Walker and what he did. And we had, uh, uh, in, you know, we had a guest on earlier today. And it was, I think, Barry Sverluga. Actually, no, it was Mark Messina. Right. Uh, and actually, both of them were on today. But Mark Messina was saying, you know, Everybody forgets how great a player that Larry Walker was when he was in Montreal with the Expos, and right. uh, you know we then he he obviously stated the the fact that everybody knows that you know he played in Colorado and maybe some of those numbers are elevated because of that. But I mean, Larry Walker was a great player. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, he was part of that '94 team. People forget that. Yeah, they were in he first place at the strike. Yeah. Right, he was part of that 94 team that should have won the World Series, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, if, and, the, or, if the, the Orioles weren't in the, it wouldn't have been in it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we were so, talking about I mean, Messina was 16-6 and six when, that, uh, when that hit, right? Yeah, yeah. Correct. And that was on uh, August the 12th. Right. So, uh, you know, you figure in four more wins, that would have done away with that can't win 20 thing. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Latson is our guest. Bill, were there any other surprises to you, either a disappointment that somebody didn't get in or somebody positioned themselves to be ready for next season when there are no clear slam dunks, uh, you know, going in? Well, what disappointed me, uh, I've been campaigning for this guy for the last three or four years, Uh, Jeff Kent. Jeff Kent, without a doubt, is a Hall of Famer. There's no question about it. Um, Eight out of nine seasons over one period in his career drove in 100 runs eight out of nine seasons. Right. Had better stats than, uh, if you go by, you know, the regular stats. Right. Had better stats than Joe Morgan, Ryan Sandberg. I mean, that should tell you something. And, uh, 
I'm disappointed. And the reason uh, Jeff Kent is not in is because of how he treated the media. Right. So, uh, and, and that's it. I mean, nothing more than that. And, uh, you know, I could tell you, I know Jeff Kent personally, and uh, I could tell you he's a great guy. Yeah. He's a great guy. He's I don't very doubt serious. It. Yep. And, and that's about it. Well, I think he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, I, I think the rest of his record above the 100 RBIs eight times. I mean, I wonder how many p- players in the Hall of Fame total have have 800-plus RBI seasons. Um, I'll tell you, it's not a, it's not a big crowd, maybe, 20, no. maybe 25 or something like that. I'll uh, tell you, though, his, 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 his uh, voting totals should go up next year because there isn't really anyone significant uh, well, you would, the Hall of Fame next year. You would think that Schilling will get the extra five percent that he needs, uh, yes, but he yes, he no probably doubt. he probably won't be more than eighty percent. That leaves a lot of guys like my my the way you feel about Kent, and believe me, I think Kent's a Hall of Famer. I think Billy Wagner is so overwhelmingly a Hall of Famer. He's at thirty five percent or thirty one percent. Helton's around that. Sheffield's around that. Omar Vizquel is even a little higher than those guys. And the guy who made up most of the ground this year was Scott Rowland, who, who just about had 50%. Yeah, yeah, Scott Rowland might get in. And, you know, like uh, the guy was a great defender at third base. Yeah. And, you know, he, you know what, the guy put some nice power numbers. One World Series with the Cardinals. Uh, I think uh, the guy had a phenomenal career. Right. Billy, um, we're just about two and a half weeks away from spring training starting. Um, there's a there's a bunch of players that haven't been signed yet. That probably the biggest name on the board is uh, Nicholas Castellanos. You have any sense of where he's going to end up? I don't, uh, Stan, but uh, I think if he goes anywhere, he'll be in the American League. I don't see a National League team picking him up, picking him up. Yes, he did well with the Cubs, but defensively, uh, he was not very good, and he's a DH. So, you know, hopefully, maybe, you know, I expect the American League team to uh, pick him up uh, pretty soon. I don't see a National League team picking him up at all. All right. I threw out to Craig Heist about 10 minutes ago um, the, the notion that Andrew Kashner is still out there available. Do you hear any teams attached to him, and could there be a reuniting with the Baltimore Orioles? Because the best two seasons he's had as a big leaguer, Doug Brokow's been his pitching coach. That's right, and the other part about him, if if he's able to come back with the young pitching that the Orioles do have, uh, Mm -hmm. I think he would be a big asset to those guys. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, he was traded to the Red Sox, and he didn't do well. So maybe, you know, uh, going back to Baltimore, you know, that might, uh, you know, that might, you know, help the, and help the young pitching. That might be a big help, too. All right. Bill Latson, our guest. Bill, uh, this past week, not to put you in a rough spot, but Scott Boris had some things to say about the players don't owe any type of a pol- grand apology uh, on the Houston Astros. And then Jessica Mendoza had some comments that I thought were a little and I've always liked Jessica but I thought she really showed a naivete about how wrongs are righted uh, both in the real world and the baseball world 
when you question whether uh, it was appropriate for a whistleblower to do his thing or whether the investigation couldn't have taken place more organically. Um, I just thought that she she was off base on her comments. Well, I think uh, you got to remember, Stan, that someone, I believe someone, made her, uh, you know, apologize for what she said. Yeah, she, she walked, remember, it, she she walked it back. She recanted those words. Yeah. She recanted those words. Yeah. And uh, as far as uh, Scott Boris goes, uh, you know, I mean, this is Scott Boris you're talking about. You know, obviously the players need to apologize for what they did. So, uh, I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, people are going, listen, people are going to look at, you know, these players differently. The Astros <laughs> players are 17. You know, they, they're going to ask, did they cheat? Did they do all this stuff? With the Yankees, should the Yankees have won the World Series? So, I mean, this is going to be on, on the, over their heads for the rest of their lives. So Scott Boris is wrong. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Let me I ask agree. you. Let me ask you something else out of the AL East. Uh, the, the Red Sox avoided arbitration with Mookie Betts by signing him to uh, what was it, one year and twenty-seven million? I guess it was. Yeah. And, right. Okay. And now, now all of a sudden, there are rumors uh, that he could be dealt to the Padres. What are you hearing about that? Well, the way everyone's talking, yes, there have there have been talks, but. You know, nothing's going anywhere now. I mean, if, if you're going to get rid of Mookie Betts, I mean, you got to get a lot in return. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Just, I mean, you're just not talking major leaguers. you got to get your best minor league pitching staff. And, you know, I understand the Padres have, you know, a great minor league system. So, you you uh, you got to give up a lot. All right, he is Bill Latson. We always appreciate your time on the show, Bill. We will talk to you next week. Stay safe and uh, have a good week ahead, all right? You, you too. Take care, guys. All right. Always a pleasure to have my friend Bill Latson on the show. We remind you that, as always, we're broadcasting from the live casino hotel studios. And along those lines, Craig Heist, Live Casino Hotel's brand-new venue, the Hall at Live, is open and it's going to host a lot of world-class entertainment in 2020, including next Sunday, February the 2nd, Live Casino Hotels host a Big Game 54 viewing party. That's right, for $29.99, watch the title game with all-you-can-eat stadium bites, pita chips and hummus, veggies, build-your-own nachos, Italian sub-sandwiches, steamed hot dogs, and grilled brats. For $50.99, Enjoy the game, the all-you-can-eat stadium bites, and an open bar. Get your tickets now at LiveCasinoHotel.com. Other great events coming to the Hall Live this year include Friday night, February 28th, Squeeze, February 20, excuse me, February 28th, Squeeze, February 29th, OAR, March 14th, I'm doing the dates wrong, February 28th, Squeeze, February 29th, OAR, March 14th, Adam Sandler, March 19th, Air Supply, April 3rd, Josh Groban, April 16th, Patti LaBelle, May the 2nd, Gabriel Iglesias. All right? Ooh, get, your tickets, get your tickets now by going to LiveCasinoHotel.com. That's LiveCasinoHotel.com. And i got to tell you about, <clears throat> hold on, here it is. 
Baltimore's favorite bar is just 771 feet from home plate. Sliders Bar and Grill, just steps from Camden Yards, is the perfect sports bar for Terps and Caps season with all the games on dozens of TVs. Sliders Daily Specials include Mexican Monday, Wingding Wednesday, Bloody Brunch Sunday, and more with different drink specials all throughout the week, every day of the week, including Fancy Clancy Pilsner. Find out about all the parties and get info on having your own party or company event at slidersbaltimore.com. Sliders, one of Baltimore's original continuously operating bars. And I got one more one more commercial to get out of the way here. Right. Live commercial. It's a reminder, today's show is sponsored by one of my favorite restaurants, Citron restaurant and bar you'll love their fresh atlantic seafood sushi and thick grass-fed steaks their wagyu beef burger is to die for that's citronbaltimore.com back to close things out on the show after this if you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen, and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world, and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to Army.com Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find out on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Celebrate Baltimore's dominant offensive line with the brand new Most Valuable Protectors t-shirts, which recognize how the incredible O-line has helped pave the way for an MVP quarterback. When you buy the MVP shirt, not only will we be supporting the team, you'll also be donating to the Bradley and Nikki Bozeman Foundation and their efforts to eliminate bullying in schools. Available in white and gray for just $25, the long-sleeve version just $29.99. Go now to bozemanshirt.com. That's bozemanshirt.com. Buy a shirt, support your team, and help stop bullying. The latest edition of Pressbox is available now, and it's our very special Pressbox Best of 2019 issue presented by Maryland Sports Commission. On the cover, we recognize Lamar Jackson as Athlete of the Year, and Bill Dean honors the inspirational Mo Gabba as our Sports Person of the Year. Inside the issue, we celebrate the top people, performances, and moments of the year. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square now offers their piping hot chicken noodle and chicken tortilla soup. Shredded chicken breast with navy and black beans in a white creamy soup base with a perfect blend of vegetables and spicy heat. Topped off with seasoned corn tortilla strips, obviously perfect for cold weather. Plus, it's a great complement to the best chicken sandwich on the planet. And if you're hosting or headed to a party, pre-order from Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square Catering, for not only is it delicious and a fan favorite, but it smells amazing and it'll be ready when you are. Download the Chick-fil-A app, place your order, and pile up Chick-fil-A bonus points good for free food. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. Call Steve if you'd like your party catered by Chick-fil-A, 410-931-0031. 
The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brett the Hitman Hart. It's good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Mm, hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Le Champion! Chris Jericho. Le Champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Uh, We are back on the show. Do you have to answer that? No. (laughs) Who was it? The police? No. You ever hear the Paul Lynn line from the Hollywood Squares where they ask I him? I heard some, several of well, them. Well, he, he says, uh, Peter Marshall asked him, he says, Paul, when is it a good idea to put your pantyhose in the microwave <laughs> oven for a couple of minutes? And he goes, when your house is surrounded by the police. <laughs> that is a good one. <laughs> Paul Lynn, he was very funny. He on was that the show. best one-line one yeah. man in the business. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, you're away next week. I am away next week. I won't right. be here. We'll yeah. miss you. Well, I'll miss it too. All right. Well, we'll we'll try to we'll try to carry <clears> on. <throat> Let's uh, do that. Got a uh, uh, Phil Wood is uh, heading down to Austin uh, P. Austin P. To teach where and he teaches be, music, uh, right? Uh, yeah, at least for one week. I'll be doing the uh, fill in for him on Masson uh, on Nats Talk. All right, with Mike Wallace. All right, that sounds good. Uh, real quick, the Nats signed Wellington Castillo to a minor league contract. Is it just organizational depth? Do you know if there's an opt-out, and or is there maybe something wrong with his Suzuki's elbow he was well, having trouble with? Well, he was with? having trouble with that at the end of last season. So right. I, I think it's a we'll good find, move either way. It's a good move either way, and I think we'll find out more about it when spring training gets going uh, down in West Palm Beach. But uh it's organizational depth uh let's keep in mind that Jan Gomes I mean that's a pretty good one-two punch with Gomes and Suzuki but Jan Gomes you're talking about a former uh all-star in the American League with the Indians offensively wasn't very good last year it got a little bit better as the year went on but overall uh wasn't as good uh and and is notoriously a slow starter so uh again I think it's like you said it's good either way yep all right. Paul, thank you very much for the show. How are things going at Baco? Pretty busy. We're still doing restaurant week right now. That's going on through Working Sunday. tonight? Working tonight at 3.30, actually. All right. Okay. Well, you're doing a good job here. Well, oh, that's the other thing, it. too. It's restaurant week over the Costas Costas well. in. That's Absolutely. right. Yeah. Okay. And it's Citron. Yep. And it uh, Sliders, probably. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, and at Blue Pit, we got a lot of food. <laughs> a lot, lot of food for All you, right. folks. All you. right. We uh, finish up today out of the broadcast studios of Live Casino Hotel Studio. That's the name of our studio. We thank you for tuning in. Don't forget Glenn Clark all week long. We'll have our um, our Super Bowl pick. You have a pick right now? I like Kansas City. It's a one-point uh it's a one-point favorite right now. Do you think now. it's going to be a close football game? I think game? it's going to be a close football game, yeah. but – I think uh, for as fast as the 
49ers defensive front is, I think Patrick Mahomes will have answers. Will have answers, yes, and he's got a bunch of weapons he can throw the ball to. All right. Thank you very much. I'll give my prediction with Glenn Clark midweek on one of our Facebook Live specials. We thank you for tuning in. If you are tuning in just now, it's not too late to like and share the program. And also, if you hit it up on the archives, same thing. Yep. Like it and like share it. Like it and share it. It helps build it up. Thank you very much, everybody. Have a great week ahead. Was there a reason you stuck this over here for me? Yes, I just thought you might. I yeah, thought I'll, we were going to have. I'm going to. I didn't know Sverluga was coming until.